Hello, Internet. Welcome to episode 109 of the Making Geeks podcast. We're the podcast for makers, dads, and geeks. We have a great show here for you today. And I'll do a quick introduction to my co-host with Mr. Josh Price, Mr. Mark O'Keefe, and Wes Swain. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Not too bad. Hang, hanging in. What have you guys been up to this How week? How are you? I'm doing good. It's nice to be home. I've been gone for five days. I've only been home for about an hour. So, wow. I've missed you. Yep, I've missed me too. <laughs> Josh, what have you been up to? Mm, working. Um, we launched the podcast. I don't know if we talked about that. Well, we talked about the idea. But we launched the other podcast that we're doing with Bob. It's been pretty well received. I heard the first five minutes. Those five minutes were pretty good. Good. It's your first episode on the top ten of iTunes. It was, uh, I guess, the hobbies category for the one category. Yeah, it's still pretty good. It was at number two, and then it went to number ten. But still, yeah, it was pretty. Uh, that was pretty exciting. It's neat. I get to play with Legos. Now I'm almost done with the helicopter that I'm building. <laughs> and at a certain point, I had to stop, and I'm like, I need to do this on the thing and not just while I'm here in this room by myself. That looked like a really uh, uh, beefy build. The other thing is big. It's over two feet long. That's what she said. Yeah, there you go. But I'm now working on a pretty elaborate 3d model for a big collaboration project that we're doing. I can't say too much about, but it's really fun and it's of like a game from my childhood, which I'm pretty excited about. I think I have an idea already. <laughs> Fireball Island. I don't know, but it's pretty cool. I mean, it's just, I had one of those moments today where like, look what you're doing right now. <laughs> like, things could be far worse in the world. <laughs> so, yeah, I just had one of those moments. Wes, what about you? Uh, I've been dabbling with my Oculus Go headset uh, that I got. It's pretty fun. Um, haven't really found any super like over-inspiring, like blowing my mind kind of apps or games yet, but there are some in there that are definitely pretty cool. And I think I'm a, probably a, more of a harsh judge than other than a typical audience that haven't really messed with a lot of games or, you know, graphics development and things. So I might be a little bit too critical on it, but I think it's pretty good, especially for the price point. Uh, once I get it fully hooked up to my computer so I can run Unreal Engine to get my own stuff on there to kind of dabble with, then I'll be much happier. But, uh, and let's see what else. Went to, uh, took Samantha and Grant to their first comic book shop today. So that was kind really? of really, yeah. Nice. Uh, and Carrie, it's called Ultimate Comics, and you go in the. It's got like you enter the door, and there's a. They got like a section just for like younger readers, and like a bunch of action figures, and all the cool like DC like higher end um, statuettes and stuff in behind the glass and all that. And then you go in, and they have the typical kind of wall 
perimeter and then they have like a little aisle in the middle with uh, your Marvel DC stuff. And it seemed okay. It didn't seem very ultimate to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was not the biggest comic book shop or like well sto- uh, stocked. Usually most of the ones I go into, I feel kind of claustrophobic in a good way in that there's like stuff everywhere. There's like it's organized to the point where like if you go there a lot, you know how it's organized. But for, when you first walk in, it's like kind of overwhelming. Um, but I, I didn't have that uh, that feeling here. And so we checked out. Uh, Grant got a little book, um, and Samantha got a, a DC. Uh, what is it called? The DC Girls. I forget what it's called. This is a newer newer line of comics where like it's like younger versions of the female characters, even the some oh, of yeah. the, the villains, mm-hmm. superhero girls or something. Yeah. Um, and so like uh, Harley Quinn is a good, apparently a good guy. Uh, or good girl <laughs> and several other uh, poison ivy and a lot of other ones that are typically villains i guess they're good in this iteration but um as we're checking out they're like oh this is your first time awesome did you guys check out the uh the classic game room or no classic toy room that's what they said retro classic toy room i'm like what where's <laughs> that at and like oh you have to go down this side hallway and turn left and go like through this little weird and thing. into my van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we'll have to check that out. So we go down there and it's not like the, a huge area, but you guys specifically Mark and Josh would like, would love it. They had a in the box Grimlock. It was like $175. They had an original Optimus prime. I mean, they had a lot of stuff there. Um, that, there were several things in there that I completely forgot I had. I'm like, oh, there's that thing I had. Oh, there's this other thing I had. I had that. I had that. I don't remember what they're called. I don't. Some of them were like really obscure, like Transformers or some um, Hordak something from like She-Ra. You know, oh. He-Man spinoff. Like I don't even remember what their names were, but I just saw them. Like oh, that. That was the thing. That was the thing. So I was kind of geeking out. But Grant was like picking up stuff <laughs> that were like vintage '80s, '70s toys. Like they had Star yeah. Trek, Star Wars, G.I. Joe. I mean, they had a nice little collection uh, of, of things. And as we were leaving that area, I saw this other little hallway that led to this like much, much bigger room. And that was like the ultimate comics that I was expecting. And they had like g- giant uh, rows of A and B and C of all mm. like, you know, fiddling through comic kind of like look at hunched over rifling through stuff and that's what i was looking to see so they have a kind of intro lobby room and then there's no signs that tell you to that there's more there so i didn't it's not like you normally go down hallways of buildings and of businesses mm-hmm. you've never been to so i think maybe their signage could use a little updating uh maybe give you a map when you walk in i don't know but i have to definitely go back maybe do that purposefully to weed out the maybe true believers yeah, yeah. It seemed kind of like a secret a society or something, but like a, the, the carded people. I don't know. I think in Mallrats, didn't they have some reference to like stuff in the back? Like when they went to a, either the comic book shop or a record store or something. I forget what it was. I but. vaguely remember that reference, yeah. Oh, it, was a, it was a music store. Never mind. I haven't seen that movie in a while. I think th- they are. Didn't they go to like a... A music store. Now he's thinking of Empire Records. Are you sure? 
No. Oh, chasing Amy is what I'm thinking of. Yes, because because one of the characters says, "Ooh, Yanni." Hmm. No, deep cut. Anyways, moving on. How have you how have you guys been? Mark, how Mark about you? Smith is a little rusty, I guess. Yeah. I just sent uh, just sent a model off to Mister Rolou. Rolou. Rolou, yeah. Wait, which way? I don't know. Um, sorry, it's that's where my mind is. Um, so hopefully, I can get working further on my new scanning table. Uh, and other than that, I've been applying and applying and applying, and making gears. Cool. So, yeah, I've been. I'm boring. Next. <laughs> well, I think I said already. I've, I've been at the last. Uh, I've been at a Python development training for the past four days. Actually, including today, I've only been home for about an hour. And learning how to code a brand new programming language about five days is is pretty intense. And then I actually have to teach this in uh, in like a week and a half. So it goes by pretty quick. But on the other front, I just put out a video yesterday morning of converting a, a kind of like a vintage uh, bed frame into a bench. So that video is out now. I like that one. Thank you. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pull it off with some of the th- changes that I had to make, but it ended up working out okay. I was surprised too. Cool. Yep. This was uh, on your your grandfather's? It belonged to my, it belonged to my great-grandparents. Yeah, it belonged to my great-grandparents. Uh, I think it was like from the 1920s and... Yeah, I don't really know much else about it. I mean, they've had it for a long time. You can tell it's aged by the way it's built. The um, the posts were actually look like hand chiseled, and you can see the, like the mortise and tenon were all hand chiseled. And the nails that were holding the these straps that I guess was a, for a little bit of added strength, the nails almost looked hand forged because there's there's hmm. no uniformity to any of the nails. Hmm. Neat. How much of your family tree do you? Uh... <laughs> it needs it lends itself to that bed frame. There you. Not directly. Would would you not be here if it wasn't for that bed? No, just... It's a ceremonial. That's right. I, I don't want to know the answer. <laughs> Some good nails. <laughs> that was a pun. Just, just a, that just was a, a good one. Just a pause. You know, deciding whether was, to respond uh, or not. That was very good. I thought I just kind of let it breathe. So today we're. Like, so today we're kind Next. of kicking. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're kind of kicking around the idea of talking about the idea or the the concept of adaptation versus copying. And when the topic idea was presented, I'm I'm assuming it was because of working in a digital space and producing digital content, and we're we're all doing that in one way or the other, and maybe where those lines are drawn, or you know when is adaptation okay, when is it considered copying. And have we had to deal with that in any way with any of the things we've been doing? Mm, I think the big stuff that I've made that someone could very easily make the argument that is not mine. Uh, I think I'm, my first dining room table was a shanty to chic set of plans. I mean, if you're getting into woodworking or getting into projects, like there's free plans and things are available. Anna White has a huge database of projects to kind of get your feet wet. And those are, unless you alter them to make them unique, I mean, those are not 
your plans. They're offered there for free. And I didn't see an overt disclaimer saying I'm not allowed to sell the stuff that I made from those plans. But I don't know. That, that's a weird it's a weird distinction when you're getting into the maker community because so many people share what they're doing openly. Um, like in the RV, like the table and the bench that I made, I got, I was inspired and pretty much did a, a walk by, you know, scene by scene instruction from Jimmy Duresta's videos. And I called him out in the video, which may or may not have been necessary, but I don't know. It's, it's a tricky line to, to walk, but are there content police, like other than like copyrighted enforceable, like lawyerable actions? Like, who are you accountable to? Well, I think too, it's not just the piece of furniture. I, I know that some pieces of furniture are are very identifiable, like the the what's it called the the Polk workbench. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. that one I think is like really identifiable. And if you kind of pass that off as your own design, I think that, that maybe that would, um, that would be like a little bit more of, of like a bigger offense, um, as opposed to just finding some plans and building it and selling it. I think it has to come, I think it has to do a little bit more with, um, very distinct design that is recognizable. So that could be either in the, like the logos that we've designed, something we do in our videos, something that we're showing. Some that we've adapted from somebody else. I mean, when I was when I was younger, when I was um, basically taking all my art classes, we were encouraged to copy. We were encouraged to copy from a point from a, a standpoint of learning, though, not turning around and selling stuff, but as a process of, of learning. Of course, never passing it off as our own. But we were also shown because this is also like the early days of Photoshop, how far we could take something before it was no longer the original product. And we had we had an entire lessons in class of, okay, well, if you take this picture of a dog and you mirror it, that's not taking it far enough. You know, that's still too much of the original image. But if you take that, if you mirror it, if you inverse the colors and then do something else with it so it's no longer recognizable as the, you know, as the original image, is that still copy? And that's where I think the waters get a little bit more murky too. How far do you have to take something before it is no longer that original creation? Yeah, and it is if you re, if you reproduce a process, is that um, if you copy someone else's process, but maybe the end result is different, are you equally blamable? I guess for copying something that's clearly something that came from someone else's video or. I think you have to give like an example of, of what it is you're, you're thinking well, about, though. I gave credit, uh, but in my personal experience for this, uh, related to this question, when I was doing the Mario Kart model, uh, before I got too far into it, um, I don't think I even cut the first piece of foam for it. I ha- happened to be in New York and visiting Jimmy's shop for the first time. It was when I first met him many years ago and I asked him, Hey, if you were to design this and I showed him a picture and I told him the scale, like if you were to reproduce this in a large scale, how would, how would you do it? Like I don't have a 3d printer. I knew he didn't have a 3d printer. Like what would the process be? And he made reference to a stormtrooper helmet video that he had made 
Uh, but then he talked me, he showed me the stormtrooper helmet. It was under a pile of sawdust in the corner that I couldn't actually get out. It was like locked in because all this other junk was in the way. So I was sort of disappointed. But uh, I ended up watching the video later on, and he told me an overview of the process. And that was where I got the inspiration of how to do the foam with the the coating of the other material on the outside to make like the the shell. And I did reference him in the video. Uh, I think maybe in the credits or yeah, because it was all to audio, uh, all to music. So in the credits, I said you know thanks to Jimmy Dresta, but I think in other media, I think on my website I wrote up an article on it and I did reference that specific technique is something that I got from Jimmy. but had no one ever seen that video, they might not draw that parallel. But if someone had, and it's exactly like using the blue foam with the, I think maybe the the brand of putty that I used was the same, and using the spray adhesive, I mean, it's pretty much the same exact thing. Is that just as um, copy? I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't think. Know. I don't think it is though. I think that's no. more. I think it's more like a chain of custody thing. You're. You're you're given proper credit because that's where you got the idea from. That's where you got the inspiration from. But right. I don't think it's because that is his copyrighted process. Oh yeah, I know it's not his copyright process. But do you, do I should I have felt uh, obligated to give credit to him for the process in knowing that someone might call me out later on in the video? Is it was it a sort of a uh, uh, not that I didn't want to call to, to thank him for it, but I wonder if there was like a little bit of me not wanting to have someone misattribute what I did or think I took it from somewhere or something. You know? I would call it two different things. I would first call it professional courtesy, mm. but also I think it's all covering your butt because there's a lot of Jimmy Duresta fans out there that might recognize something. Right. But I, I don't think it's anything more than that. Sure. Now, if he'd, he'd come up with some sort of specialized formula that was his kind of proprietary mix of that putty, and then you right. copy that, I think I think that you're you're kind of in a different water there. I think you would have to go back to how you acquired that special mix of putty or the process or whatever it is that you're claiming to copy or steal or reproduce. Because, I mean, at Lockheed, we had proprietary information laws within the company and there's stuff against like corporate espionage. And so you safeguard those things. If it is really that important to you, then you hold that stuff true. And it's a, you know, your own corporate secret. It's a a guild uh, or like a, a, a trade secret. So you keep it close to the chest. And fortunately for the reproducer, uh, in this environment, like all the information is out there. Yep. And so Mike Mertzke had this happen to him, a good friend of ours from the maker community. He makes these really beautiful American flag, like military challenge coin holders. He made a video on this is how I do it. He has them all over Instagram. I mean, the process, his entire process is out there. I mean, it's the American flag. So as long as you have the proportions correct, but like how he makes the little shelves on all of the the stripes. Like he found somebody that was ripping off his plans. I say ripping off in air quotes, like 
on Etsy and selling it. And he was like, yo, this is my design. And so he wrote the person and the person was like, no, we did this. It's all ours. Like nothing is stolen. Like nothing is taken from someone else. Like don't ever call here again. And apparently it was the guy who actually made it. Like it was his wife who responded negatively. And so when Mike got a hold of the guy, he was like, yeah, man, I saw that you did this stuff. I thought it was a good idea. So I made it and now I'm selling it. I'm like, you, you have no rights to it. I think at that point, like if you're showing the world how you made something for free, then if someone then turns around and makes it and sells it or does whatever they want to, it's theirs. Like you don't own it anymore. Didn't we also have here uh, from uh, Joel Crawford about that with the Spartan knife block that I I know that his design was getting copied other places too. I thought we talked about it or that may be patented. He's getting copied out of Asia now, isn't he? I think he said that, yeah, yeah at one point. That a bunch of people have tried to copy it. Mm-hmm. But you can but get it on uh, AliExpress. Like, he doesn't have the the DXF files to cut it out on a CNC available. So someone would have to take it and like reverse engineer it and sell it. But if that's a copyrighted product or if it's a patented product, like there are legal standings for those. But if you are going to make a Mario head, you go, these are the things that you need to make a Mario head. And then when someone turns around and makes one, you're like, that was Wes's idea. I'm like, yeah, but I made it. Like, it could have been their idea. Like, there's there's no APA, like, college handbook type guide rules for how you will cite someone in this world and not get charged for plagiarism. Like, I don't know. I'm making cabinets. I'm, I mean, I'm sitting across from a room where I'm making cabinets. I didn't know how to make cabinets. I didn't know how to design cabinets proportionally. So I went in my kitchen and I measured what was in the kitchen. And I took those measurements and just reproduced it. So if I made a video about how to make kitchen cabinets, am I then required to, like, cite, I don't know, Pella or cabinet maker? co.com like it's it's a weird it's something thing like to a... put like a, a distinction like you need to do this or you need like that's your I don't know there's no board or convenient I think if it's something that simple like or that basic no but I think once you get into more specifics like like if you're just ca- copying a cabinet box no a box is a box you can there's only so many ways you can make a box but if you're copying a specific design for a door front that, you know, some company had somebody, some art student designed and put it in the computer. And then you created that. Then you recreated that. Uh, then maybe there, there are actually Pacheco made. Um, sorry. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. There are actually guidelines on at what point something becomes more like a intellectual property. And uh, a young man's workshop uh, is actually commenting a little bit on this in, in the uh, in the live chat too. He says when it's a foundational or public domain knowledge, it ain't really much of a a thing. It's more of a public relations thing. They have to they usually give credit, but there there are guidelines and limits at some point for a a creative work. When you can cite something as being something more creative, that's when that that copyright is usually applied. And it, it's tough to it, it is tough to. To maintain, so like your example, of Mike Mike Mursky, that's something really hard to um, 
to kind of follow up on and enforce. Luckily enough, you know, that guy even get, you know, gave him an honest answer because he didn't really have to. You know, we're putting these up online for, for free, essentially. We kind of have to expect that at some point somebody's going to copy either the process or the end result. And if it's something that they want to protect, we, you know, there's other things that actually have to be done to kind of enforce that. Or you need to make sure you have a lawyer already on retainer to help uh, enforce some of these things. I have a I have a friend who I went to school with that is an artist, and he has some phenomenal artwork that he's had um, shown online for a while. And every now and then, he'll find his piece of artwork because it's a very um, kind of like a uh, relates a lot to like mysticism, just like the this one um, painting that I'm referring to. He finds it all over the place, all over Facebook, because people do image search, grab it, and then use it for their own purposes. And he's tried to follow up on it, I don't know how many times. Sometimes he's successful and sometimes he's not because he doesn't have the money to go after anybody. But that is his own intellectual property. Um, yeah. Hmm. I know when you download something off Thingiverse, you are agreeing to the particular license that that artist has set for that model. And so whether it's a Creative Commons license where it says you can't sell these in use or you need to christen or whatever they have. They have certain stipulations. But YouTube doesn't have that. So if you watch somebody, you know, make something. I, I think it all goes back to like the intent of the person putting out that content. And I think you really, people need to be honest with themselves. Like if I'm going to show you how to make something and then people make the thing, like how upset can you really get? I don't, I don't get that. It's funny. You brought up music and I'm going to kind of take it just so, uh, aside really quick. You guys ever feel that music has like an unfair advantage on YouTube because they scan all these algorithms for like the music that you're using in your video and they can shut you down immediately. Yet visuals, or if you make something, there's, there's no following up on that. You'd think it would be. I was about to say you'd think it'd be the other way around, but I don't know. You'd think there'd be at least something visual, you know, as opposed to there nothing is. right now. There, there are things that are visual. That's why you, if you see like popular TV shows that are ripped off on other people's channels, they're like widely distorted, or like skewed over one way, or like zoomed in, reversed. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the audio that's still being tracked. I think the audio might be easier to track. The image, yeah, because there's metadata. If you take a song, and you import that song. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know, but I mean, in the maker community that we belong to for a while, it it pops up every once in a while, especially when people are stealing the content. I think there people make a distinction between the product that they're making in the video and the video itself, and people will rip it off and put it on some lame like Jimmy's woodworking or whatever database or. Some multimedia company will show the video on Facebook and get X millions of views, but then those don't translate to YouTube, so they're really taking money away from the content creator. Um, and it's just like your, I guess your artist friend. Like if you make a piece of abstract media, something that's not tangible that someone could physically steal from your house. They steal an idea or they steal an image or they steal something that's just existed in the world. It's much harder to track or much. That's a much deeper debate. 
then I made a table and someone else makes the same table I make and then they sell it. I didn't make it for them. That art that guy made. If I saw his painting and then busted out a canvas and some oil paints and I reproduced it like I'm a forger and a counterfeit, I guess. But if I signed my name at the bottom instead of his, I still painted that painting. Years ago, when I was studying 3D animation, we actually had one of our instructors take our projects and pass them off as his own when he was trying to get jobs in Hollywood. Whoa. Really? Yeah, that was a punk. That's interesting. Yeah. We found out about it and we uh, reported him to the administration so he wasn't working there very much longer. <laughs> and because we were having that fight too because we were all studying, you know, art, you know, even though it was like digital art, our creations of what we were producing was really important at that time. We needed to hold that as our intellectual property because that directly related to a job for us. So we were actually fighting with the faculty at that time saying, whatever we create in class, I don't care if we're creating it for your school. That is our creation. We actually need the, you know, the intellectual property rights for that because that's supposed to be, you know, that should trend or we were hoping that it was going to translate into money for us in terms of a job or, creating something independent, which didn't happen as much then, but I know it happens more now. Hmm. Yeah, it can get a little tricky with that. Mm. So are there set, I guess, PR-type guidelines for how you should accredit someone? In some situations. I mean, music is pretty clear when you... You send me else's I mean, music. for us in, in, I mean, in our space and in, in making, making things, because there doesn't seem to be. I mean, music has right. like actual arbitration, yeah. and they have court cases, and they've had lawsuits. And they, there aren't, not that we should be the determining factor, but in the lack of formal guidance, I think come up with an idea. I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering at what point that kind of applies. I mean, if I if I go and I try to make like a not that I even have the ability to do this, do so, but like replicate something of Sam Maloof's, who is a, a pretty well known furniture maker. You know that, you know that should be pretty clear that I'm copying somebody else's work and trying to pass it off as my own. But I, I think there's a limit at like I think it has to do with like the creativity of the uh, of the work itself. You know, if something is so creative and so different. I, I don't know how to really define that limit, though, of, of where that really starts. Well, you I mean, were talking about that, and I had a, a kind of an, a weird example. So do you guys know, uh, is it Greg Klassen, Classic, the guy that does the glass-topped kind of river tables? I've seen Really it. nice figured wood with the, like, bluish kind of glass that's inset in the top. I've seen everybody doing them, so I don't. I didn't know it was started. Well, it's, it's different from like the epoxy tables, and I think that kind of hits my point. Well, I've seen the glass, yeah. Yeah, so he was kind of the first person to do that. He's got really famous and really popular, and he sells a lot of them for a lot of money. Uh, Johnny Brook did one, and he called out, and he's like, yo, this guy, you know, Greg makes these. I was inspired to make one in the same style. So that one thing was attributed to that one guy. But the epoxy river table no one has traced back to who the first person was. So it's not known by that one person. It's known as a category of stuff. So now everybody can do it because it's an epoxy river table, not, you know, Jim Joe's river table. I, I think one difference there's, what was the guy's original name that did the glass one? 
It's Greg, Greg Klassen or Klein, Greg something. Okay. So I think in that case, something, well, I, I think there's a couple different things applied because Klassen. Yep. Greg okay. Klassen. So in that case, for his for his piece of furniture, I think it kind of transcends a piece of furniture and then also becomes a work of art. So this is an original mm-hmm. great classin, as yep. opposed to all, all these others. Um, so yeah, he's he's transformer and everybody else is GoBots. Oh, actually, That's GoBots fire. came. There, let me see. But I guess the yeah. same with the with the river table or yeah. the mid century modern style, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Somebody started that at one point, and it went away from that originator to a category. And so I think he may just be really, really lucky that the glass top or the glass integrated wood table or whatever hasn't become a category now that everybody feels they can just do it. And it becomes their own without having to attribute to anybody to where that first person who was like, you know what, maybe I can do that same thing with epoxy. And now everybody's doing it. They don't have to cite or credit anybody with it. I don't know if anybody knows where it came from. That may be part of the point. But is there a differentiation between knowing the exact person who made it or just a broad kind of category because it's out in the world? Like, I made a farmhouse table. Like, I'm going to throw back to to Jedediah Cletus and the, the shaker movement <laughs> in Pennsylvania in the early 1800s for making this table. I think that kind of depends on the person too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, do you, do you care that you have a, an original or do you want something that, I mean, like, like take a piece of art, for example, like I cannot afford the Mona Lisa and I don't particularly care to own the original but if I can see a representation of it, it still gives me that same satisfaction. So some some people want the original. Some people want that. I, I guess you could call it a status symbol or just the the in their own brain. They have the original and that makes them happy, whereas other people just want to be want to see the style that they like or see the thing that inspires them. It doesn't need to be the original. It just needs to be what it was. I think that raises a good point and kind of like what I was mentioning, like, is it a style of table? Because you're never good. Like it's wood. You are never going to be able to forge or replicate a piece of wood. It's all unique. Like all of his tables are unique because it's a tree. Like you can photocopy the Mona Lisa or you can hire somebody who's really good at copy it and sell it as a forgery and try to play it off as the original to whereas none of his pieces are they're all one-offs. So if I were to make one, you in a new glass top, walnut, burl, whatever table exists in the world, it could be his, it could be mine, it could be anybody's. So why can't I say that I made that table? You got made that table. Well, if you, I mean, yeah, if you decided to take that style and then modify it, and let's say you made all your tables with a burl to get that 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 type of look to it, then yeah, I think that you could call it inspired by, but it's still yours. You I know, guess I'm of the camp where if I see it and it looks cool, I'm like, oh, that looks neat. Like, I want to try to make that. And if someone goes, hey, man, that thing is beautiful. I want to buy one of those from you. I go, oh, no, I can't. Because I just saw somebody else do it, 
so I can't sell this to you because that guy made one a long time ago. No, uh, you can make one. And I made the table. I think it depends on scale, though, too. I don't think the problem is selling one. I think the problem is selling 500. Mm. If, you're, if you're taking something to, man, to manufacture that was clearly somebody else's design as a creative work, not just nailing two pieces of wood oh, together. okay, yeah. But as a creative work, that's where I think it's different. And, you know, I think we've, we've all gotten away, or I, I won't say that because that's assuming too much. I know that I've gotten away with replicating things that I did not own and selling them and making money off of them, off of somebody else's intellectual property. I'm not taking to manufacture. I'm not selling hundreds of these things. Um, and yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing it, but I do. I know a lot of other people do. I think it's an issue of scale, especially, I mean, you know, I, I know that we're, I know that we're talking about furniture and, and making things, but you look at all the other intellectual property that if you copied or reproduced in a high volume and sold, you would have, you know, a couple of legal notices sent to you really quickly. I guess we really need to track down the actual answer. And Between like, can you copyright a style or do you have to copyright a product? Well, you can copyright a style because that style is now going to be considered a, a something artistic. Definable. Yeah. Yeah, but the, each artistic has a, a a period or a style. It's in the style of like there's the cubist period because people decided to or the pointillist like pointillism. It's it's but a, you're you're you're, ta- you're you're talking about a general commonality as of mm-hmm. a grouping of art, but not a specific piece of art. True, and I, I guess my question is, how do you get to the general group? If he's the only person that's allowed to make that table, how do you get to a general group? Having a lot of other people reproduce it. <laughs> Yeah, and like, how was there more than one hamburger restaurant? Like, how how is it? At what point will it be a river table, like the epoxy style? Where, well, if I'll, I wanted to make that table, or if I wanted to sell those tables because I knew a guy that had some glass, well, and also, I have a router, right? But if he was the first one to call it a river table, and everybody else is now calling it a river table, that would be infringement. So it was a water table. It's a creek table. At, at least you made an effort to to mask that you're straight out, you know, right out copying somebody. Triple table. But I guess the, I I think that goes back to my original point. At what point are you not copying or uh, it? Hmm. Well, it becomes a style make a, when a, a MacBook, right? Yeah. That is a product. That is something that has dimensions. It has standards. If I go to recreate this thing, I am infringing on those kind of standards. But a a table or a bench or whatever that's a utilitarian thing, like it's a flat piece of wood with something decorative in it, like that it's really hard to define, or in my mind it is, it may not be on, on some legal standing. Well, yep, yep. And to- I'm not trying to poo poo on Greg Klassen's stuff or trying to steal his business. It just at what point does that become a style and not a product that can be enforceable? But, but see, you're you're kind of on the edge of oversimplification, though, because you could, you know you take a look at any um, any recognizable character. Say like Mickey Mouse. Well, it's a character that that is a, a mouse that has ears and a nose. So, you know, does that mean that? 
you know, if I if I redraw Mickey Mouse with smaller ears, am I copying? What about a a green tree hanging from a mirror? But that's their shape, though. Like the the air freshener people, right? So that yeah. is their proprietary shape. They came up that with that piece of art, which I completely agree. That is not right. a proprietary shape. It is though. It is. Oh, they made it one. They copyrighted it as one, but that is mm-hmm. an extremely simplistic shape. Still, but it's their simplistic shape. Like the Skype logo like. is a super simplistic shape, but it's theirs. They made it and they copyrighted it. Well, you can but see going the same back thing to the river thing, table. Exactly, and I guess that's my point, is your mouse thing. So you have a cartoon mouse, so the rat rod people that have the motorcycles. Like, yeah. I wanted to draw a cartoon mouse. My cartoon mouse doesn't really look the same, but it's still a cartoon mouse. Or, so if, I don't know who came first, DC or Marvel, when you're, we're going to draw pictures of people that have these superpowers. And someone else was like, oh, that's a cool idea. Like, I want to draw pictures of people that have superpowers. They go, no, you can't. That's our idea. All of your DC comics better have Inspired by Marvel on it. Or on the bottom of this table that I made, I had to go, this has been inspired by a great class, and this is not a PI workshop table. This is this guy's table. Like, so then what would have made, what would have made his table distinct then? The- it's a distinct style of table. Like no one, I, I don't know if anybody has done it before. He was, I guess, the prominent person. It's the first term I've seen it. But then people have reproduced it in video format that you can watch on YouTube, and they go, oh, this is this guy's style of table. That may be professional courtesy in a PR thing like we're talking about. I don't know what legal standing. Like if I didn't say that because I made that table, I saw a guy do it. Oh, well, that's neat. I want to take that idea and do it too. Is there legal ramifications for making a thing and not giving somebody credit or an acknowledgement? If they're big enough to be able to reinforce that brand or that and that's what usually design, comes down then to. yeah. And, and I guess that is with this particular instance, it's not a branded product. I'm not saying this is a Greg Klassen table. As I think when people are making like Eames chairs that are not Eames chairs, you're trying to you're trying to benefit from the popularity of that person's name, which I feel is wrong. Like that's forgery. But this is a piece of furniture. This is not the Mona Lisa. I'm not making a thing going, this is a Mona Lisa, or this is the Greg Klassen table. I'm like, no, this is Josh's table, and I put a piece of glass in the middle, and it looks like a river. Doesn't it look pretty? The, another guy made these before, but I made this one, and this one is mine. And if you want it, you can pay me some money, and you can have it, because you think it looks pretty. I wouldn't go, no, you can't buy this table. You have to go to this guy's website and buy one from him. Like, it's it's a weird place to be, and... I don't know. I wonder if there's if there's the table police that are going to come out and I guess this may be the whole point of this is not try to like stir up a bunch of anger, but what says I have to say that's a Greg Klassen table because right. it's not it's a Josh Price table. I made it. Donovan, the beardless man in the YouTube channel, he uh, he made a good point. He said, "What about the style of people's videos? Like if you're going to do a you know a non-narrated, sped up audio." sped up assembly build video it's clear that people claim that you are copying jimmy Dresta's style in videos well that, that's been talked about that's been talked about before on other podcasts though yeah but or, we're it's yeah. related to what we're talking about no 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 i, yeah. I understand that i wasn't trying to pass it point, off but yeah at what point is it someone's perception that you are ripping somebody off 
I go, you need to say that you were inspired by Jimmy's videos. I go, no, I don't. Just because you're an like, overly abrasive cheerleader for that particular person. Like, that, that's on you, not on me. I, I think that, that maybe the issue, too, is that, that different roles probably apply for, for each different industry, too. In, in some ways. Because I think, I like... I mean, like, like in filmmaking, maybe Donald can, can comment on this because I think he has a, a more direct um, knowledge of some of this. You know, if I if I shoot a video and I have a bunch of lens flares all over the place and a bunch of horizontal blue lines, you know, I can't go off and say, "Oh yeah, that was something I you know completely created. It's all you know my style." No, it's J.J. Abrams that at least would probably be credited with it <clears throat> because he's the, probably the most well known for doing it. If other people did it first, I actually don't know. I just know that that has been more directly identified with his style. You know, there's probably different uh, rules that apply for furniture. You have different rules that apply for maybe logos and, and uh, you know, like characters like we were talking about. So maybe our conversation shouldn't overlap as much. I think maybe it's different in, in different cases now that I'm thinking about it. Well, I mean, maybe not. Because that particular instance, we were shooting a video yesterday where I had to look up and it was given these really awesome lens flares. And I was like, oh, that shot's going to look cool because these lens flares are going to look cool. Then do I have to have a little thing? They go, lens flares were brought to you by J.J. Abrams and <laughs> Bad Robot Incorporated. Like, Or is that just people who were super fans of that particular thing that are taking this ownership of it and are very defensive of someone trying to recreate it in the name of the artist or in the name of the proprietor when that is just – and they're infatuated with it. So then they become the police. And so is there really, do they have a standing or are they just really emphatically raising rabble? I think that industry polices a little bit differently though. And if you put a video on YouTube, that's different. But if you're an actual filmmaker in the industry, you would probably be called out differently about it because it'd be a real clear um, imitation of something, someone else. But like I said, I don't know. Uh, maybe Donald could comment if he's if he's still out there. Well, then you couldn't blow anything up. Let's go. This this explosion is brought to you by Michael Bay, or this terrible movie is brought to you by this person, Roland Emmerich. What about? <laughs> uh, it's sort of related. What if it's it's? What if the company um, is copying its own works and reproducing it as a new thing? Granted, every no, toy that was done in the eighties. No, there are some like specific shots. You brought up Michael Bay, and it triggered this memory. There are specific shots that he reproduce. He uses the exact same footage in multiple movies. Don't ask me for specific examples, but I know there are. So I remember looking <coughs> into this. But like, there are certain shots. Let's say in Transformers of a certain jet flying by, or in Pearl Harbor, the specific kind of explosion. That, that like frame for frame copy of that same explosion is in another movie. Disney does that all the time. That was like my dance, other reference. Disney does the stuff, same right? dance scenes for yeah. Snow White and Cinderella and all these things. Like, granted, there's no legal repercussion for that, but you as an audience member, do you think you should? Do you think less uh, positively on the company for doing that? Do you think it's lazy? Is it pinned on the industry? Are you less inspired because it's not an original 
thing at that moment. It's just interesting kind of side spin off of the conversation. The the times it's been brought up where I didn't notice at first, I always felt a little bit duped. Like, right. oh really? But I mean it, I don't care. But I, see, I don't care about this conversation, but we're scene. not we're trying to make an interesting <laughs> topic here, so <laughs> Warner Brothers decided to take Snow White's dancing and make Bugs Bunny do it. There'd be hell to pay. Right. Because it's their stuff. And, I I mean, I get that. I just, this world of YouTube, especially, I mean, when you mentioned Jimmy Duresta and his style of videos, like, there are people that love Jimmy Duresta. And uh, anything that can be done that is anything, has any similarities to something that Jimmy has made. Go, oh, you're just ripping off Jimmy Dresta. Oh, you're ripping off this thing. When he will openly admit that that's just the way that he does it, or he does it because it's easy for him. Or when Johnny Cash wore black and sang that way, well, I got no other clothes and it's just the way that I sing. Like it may not be as important to the artist as it is for the mega fans of the artist to go around policing people that just happen to do something similar. Is there, I guess my question is, is there some type of legal standing that makes or justifies those actions? Or is that just people causing a stink to cause a stink? I think a lot of people cause a stink to cause a stink. It it seems, I've, I've been noticing that for a long time now. There's just some people who want you to be as miserable as they are, and they will try and do anything they can to accomplish that. Unfortunately, I think people in most cases are, cases are after money and recognition, and if you get in the way of either one of those one of those things, that's when people usually cause cause problems. Yeah, and I guess in this case, like I'm I'm sitting here looking at my table, and I have a customer that wants a river table around Christmas, and I think the river river tables are kind of dumb, but I like those glass top tables. I think they're nice. And that's why this kind of rings a bell with me right now. So if someone showed up at my door to go, hey, that's Greg Classen's. Like, I don't have to open that door. I don't have to listen to that person. Like, you're not a judge or the police or some lawyer slapping me with a summons or a cease and desist order. Like, can it even get to that level? Or is it, am I allowed to turn a blind eye to people that I don't really care to listen to? I I also think there's a, a minor difference between somebody requesting this from you directly and you advertising these on a website somewhere. I don't think there's a difference. You know, I'm selling it one way or the other because the word of mouth is can be just as powerful. If somebody cares about their intellectual property, they would care about that difference. There's also the uh, – I don't remember what the exact name of this thing is, but there's like a, a clause in like the copyright code where if you have to enforce all mm-hmm. – like you have to show effort in, in trying to track down people violating your – stuff or else you lose it uh, which is one of the reasons Nintendo is so notorious about going after fan films and fan creations of things even if the you know I don't know there, there's a weird line that Nintendo has specifically that they seem to always go after people that do these sorts of things like if I make a, a game in Unreal Engine that is a reproduction of the first Mario level in super, the first level in Super Mario Brothers they're gonna uh, 
send me a letter, even no matter if it's like the coolest thing I've ever they've ever seen, they'll send me a letter and shut it down. Uh, they've seen I've seen that time and time again. Um, Which for something like that, I wonder if you ask yeah. first and and bid no. them. They have to say no. It dilutes mm-hmm. their their trademarks. How does it dilute the trademarks though? Because they, they have an avenue be, to license it, and if, if they if don't enforce mistake, everybody, yeah. If then a man, why if a have fan a can mistakenly think that something they see is Nintendo's when it's really not theirs, like oh, yeah. Nintendo must have made this. It looks awesome, and they didn't actually make it. Then that's I think where the problem starts creeping in. Not too long ago, somebody made a Mario game like in Unreal Engine, and it looked it yeah. looked great. It looked yeah, amazing. That's, that's a yeah. It came up again in the last couple weeks. Like, they have to, they kind of go out, they're notoriously aggressive for going after stuff, which, I mean, I was a little bit gun shy about doing any sort of publishing of stuff that I've made. Um, it's weird because, like, a lot of things I make, like the, the Swamp Guy and, like, the Mario Kart thing, they've, like the nursery, they've uh, retweeted it. They know it exists. They've emailed it around, so that they're okay with. But if it's a digital version of a homage to their stuff, then they'll crack down on it. So there's a little bit of a, a weird thing. Like I chose to show my love for the, these characters in a physical format. These other people showed a love for their characters in a digital format, and they're the ones that get slapped down, even though they weren't trying to sell it or redistribute it, and they gave complete credit to them there's like a little weird double standard that i've noticed but disney, not that i'm complaining yeah disney will do that too in certain circumstances and, and part of that i don't know if nintendo's reason is the same but part of it is maintaining the uh the ethic nature of the character like the ethics you know so if if you do something that displays any of the disney characters in a way other than they would want the character displayed you will probably get a notice. All right. So I looked up intellectual property. So it falls into two categories. Intellectual property refers to creations of the mind, inventions, literary and artistic works and symbols, names, images used in commerce. So intellectual property can include patents, trademarks, industrial designs, and geographical indications. That's one category. And the second category is copyright which covers literary works, films, music, artistic works, including drawings, paintings, photographs, and sculptures, and architectural design. So, if Mr. Klassen has a copyright, see, but again... Copyrights are automatically granted when you create an artistic work. Period. See, but, like, a drawing is a drawing of a thing. I draw a dog, or a can. Or a sculpture is a an individual thing. Can you copyright a style? And I guess that's my major question. Because you can't reproduce a piece of wood. Like it's a piece of wood. It's not there's no two are identical. Especially in a river table where you're highlighting the defects in a piece of wood. The piece of wood the piece of wood itself isn't the issue. But the issue is the design. Now, the real question is, is that one individual table, because I, I think this is kind of what you're asking too, is that one individual table what is being copywritten? So if you do that same zigzag pattern with the glass in the middle, the exact same, then maybe you're infringing because that was that that actual one created. Mm-hmm. 
But but that particular example, by nature, none of them are going to be the same. So yeah, but if you an, if you redraw something, that piece of paper is not the same either. I would say it's. I would say it's akin to like a recipe. Like a is a recipe trademark? Well, I think it is. Like can you? So yeah, yeah, it's like, artistic work, I guess. Um, so like your recipe for that table has the same ingredients. Well, that's that see another that's, one would have. That's different because if I materials. if I open up a restaurant and I start selling, you know, Gordon Ramsay's, uh, you know, pick anything as my own, then yeah, I think that I pretty sure that has happened before and i think they can come after you yeah yeah but i'm, I'm equating i'm not i'm but, not just talking that uh, recipe as an example yeah. i'm relating to his table thing it's a metaphor like the raw materials are the same yeah the individual like if you analyze it at close enough level they're different like this is a different type of rice than he used or it's you know whatever it's just He's using weight i'm using the, 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 the raw ingredients listing if you can Sum it together. Sorry, you used the word ingredient, and this is very important. So style is not protected by copyright. So there was Steinberg versus Columbia Pictures, as the court stated that style is merely one ingredient of of expression, and therefore, and for there to be infringement, there has to be substantial similarity between the original work and the new purportedly infringing work. So in the case of the table, that argument could very easily be made. That mm-hmm. it's a table. You have that blue glass that he uses over and over again. So if you use a different color glass, perhaps. But you can't copyright a style. And so I think because his tables are so similar, you could very easily connect the dots between um, substantial similarity between the original work and a new purportedly infringing work. If I were to take a piece of wood use the impurities in it, hollow them out, and put in a blue whatever piece of glass because that blue color is very specific to all this table. So if you change the color of it... Now, if you did that... That may be the difference. If you did that... Because this is... If you did no, that... I'm sorry, go ahead. If you did that and put in a square piece of glass, that would not be similar enough. It would actually have to be a wavy piece to be similar enough. But I guess it's it's up to the course to decide a similarity. I, but so I'm saying that seen... I think that that's would make a difference. Mm-hmm. But there's the like Star Wars style, like Calvin and Hobbes painting or cartoons. Have you guys seen those? Yeah. So uh, the, the it's specific, specifically talking about that cartoon and how is the Calvin and Hobbes style copyrighted and can they go after this guy who is doing the Star Wars like versions of those Calvin and Hobbes styles? And he said they cannot because he is not trying to reproduce a specific Calvin and Hobbes like scene to whereas Justin Christensen love you is reproducing Calvin and Hobbes scenes out of wood on a scroll saw that could be gone off gone after as copyright infringement or this guy is recreating a new medium, but in the exact same style as that Calvin and Hobbes artist. So some of that also falls under another, another clause with copyright, which is parody. So if you are clearly mm-hmm. doing something for, you know, a humorous or destroying something for a humorous purpose, you can actually get away with it. It's actually partially protected by a First Amendment right, too. Yeah, under the fair use because of the transformative qualities and the of 
parody and satire. Yep. So the Calvin and Hobbes could possibly get away with it, um, you know, under that too. That's why you're able to emulate things sometimes. There's also another clause, I don't think it's listed there, that sometimes you can show something um, for educational purposes. But in those cases, I think it's, there's still an expectation that you have credit to the original um, or where it came from, even though you might be using it in your video or, or something else. So to, to Mark, I guess to go back to your Mona Lisa, like you could draw the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. If I guess it does kind of substantiate what Sean you were talking about, like changing it, but yeah. like you could draw in this. It's a very obvious style, like um, the the foul language comics. Yeah, you could that style. Like he has the bulbous eyes that kind of overlap in the middle. Like maybe not the fact that it's a duck, but it has a very specific artistic style. Um. The floppy-headed Canadians in South Park, like that is a very iconic style. <laughs> but if you are not trying to re- replicate an exact character or a scene from that show, and, and that's what I'm gathering from this, is that it, he's not taking the Star Wars and replicating a Calvin Hobbes drawing that was published. He's just mimicking the artistic style, and you can't copyright a style. But in the case of the table, because those products are so similar over and over and over again it would be very hard to make an argument that by recreating one with that blue color glass and a walnut table that you are differentiating from the original art or the original, whatever it's worded. Hmm. Original work. So you've got to change the color of the glass. And probably change the shape too. Because glass has been in setting tables for a long time. This is a neat article. And don't put that person's name on it. Put your name on it. Because then you're... It's fraud. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. I think we covered that pretty well. All tied sure. up in a nice little bow. From four non-lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody listening to the episode, I would love to hear from you if you've actually had any experience with these... You know, any of these cases or some, with something you've created or... Or maybe something that uh, that you've uh, seen. Yeah, we'd love to hear about it. But in the meantime, what are you guys geeking out about this week? Season seven of Ultron. Start it. Start it. It's pretty good. So far, halfway through the first episode. I'm, I'm hoping Vehicle Voltron. I don't know why I want it so bad. I just want to see it in a new style. <laughs> we went to go see Teen Titans Go the other day. Have you guys seen that? No. Uh, I've never watched the show. I don't know anything about it, but I wanted to take the kids to a movie, and that's what was playing. It is really, really funny. Like, they make deep fun of DC Comics. Like, it's a DC property. So it's like Justice League, Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, the whole thing. Like, they pull no punches, and they make fun of it. It was pretty good. <laughs> they They go on to the Warner's lot, and there's like, posters of Superman and all the characters all around and all of the big posters of Superman have a mustache. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's stupid stuff like that. It it was, it was so funny. They have like a Michael Bolton eighties, like power ballad in the middle. I was very entertained and I had never seen that show before. I saw mission. Impossible. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. (laughs) No, That was was delayed. That was super delayed. No, go ahead. 
I saw Mission Impossible last night. Like it? Yep. That was a cool movie. It it was good. I don't think it's as good as everybody is saying that it is. And my complaints are, are about it are kind of weird, but I, I think it was a pretty good movie. I mean, if I if I had to give it a score, I'd give it like an eight out of ten. It's a pretty good score. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the trailers gave away a lot more than I wish they did. So when some big things happened, I wasn't as surprised as I should have been. They had some, uh, like a, a pretty awesome PR campaign before that about like, oh, Tom Cruise did all of his stunts. And, oh, man. Yeah. But when you watch him in the movie, I'm like, that did not look like him. Yeah, there's a couple like on the motorcycle driving through the heavy traffic. And, yeah. I, and I know that some of those cars are CG anyways. Uh, and I was also wondering like the, the shots where he's like on the side of a mountain or something like he is in every movie. And the camera pulls back. I want to know, okay, I know he's doing that, but is he doing that um, in a studio, you know, five feet off the ground or, you know, unless you're shaking your head? I would say no. It's like a sellable, it's a point they've made for all of them. Well, I, I understand mm-hmm. that, but some of these shots. He may be, t- he may be like harnessed, right. may erase the exactly. harness. And he's post, harnessed in. But he's on the side of the. Well, well, I don't doubt that, but some of those yeah. shots, like, really, that that's real, that. If they are, that's great. It just it's it's almost like a sense of disbelief. But yeah, I recommend. There was it. that like fight scene in the bathroom that was really popular in all the oh, promos. I it was not. I'm not gonna. I don't want to comment on it. Never mind. I was gonna say something about no, it. No, there was a spot in there where he looked old. He's he's actually finally showing his age. He looked like Liam Neeson in Broke or in what was that movie <laughs> Taken? <laughs> Liam Neeson. I remember yeah, watching that. It was, it was a Freudian slip for you. And I was like, dude, he looks, he looks, uh, taken kind of old. Like, yeah. Scientology's finally taking his toll. Yeah, it was a good movie. You know, at some point he's going to have like one of those moments, like the emperor in episode three, where he just kind of transforms into the old man. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I, you know what I just watched? Did you guys watch bright? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. Will Smith? I have no interest. Yeah. You know what? It was there were there was there was definitely issues with the movie, but it was like Sean, go watch it. It was it was a interesting interesting concept. The, the premise is the best yeah. part of the whole thing. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm only going to watch it. it. I'm only going to watch it because I trust your guys' opinions. It it wasn't it wasn't by any means a a fantastic written movie, but the the premise itself was. Novel. That was something I always wanted to see was like, yeah. what would happen if like World of Warcraft was in modern day, you know, fairies and orcs and golems and all these things, and go, you know, how do uh, they I know all... the premise. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and they're making the little sequ- things like he was yeah. trying to exterminate fairies like they're just right. these yeah. irritating bugs. Which I thought, and like it's hmm. the little stuff where it, it does bring you back into reality. I thought it was kind of neat. It wasn't bad. They're making a sequel. <laughs> of course, they're okay. I forgot who hasn't gone yet. Josh. Uh, well, I'm kind of. It's a whole. It's a continuation of something I didn't say at the beginning. I'm sort of geeking out about it. I made an instructable. I haven't done that in a while. Um, I published an instructable for my Mario Kart Eight nursery, which took me several days to write because it's quite involved. But 
hopefully I didn't skim over too much and I included enough and I included pictures that I'd never put on the video and other things that I still had. So it's a little more behind the scenes. Um, and it's up for a video game related contest. That's why I submitted it. So, so go vote. So go vote for it. <laughs> if you like it. Shameless plug. That'd be appreciated. Yes. But, um, that was kind of fun. Um, yeah, I'm geeking out about Voltron as well. And yeah, that's all I got. Josh, did you go? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Times. Oh, that's right. Okay, well, we'd love to hear from all of you. Go ahead and check out our website, makinggeeks.com. Hopefully you have some questions for us, maybe some suggestions for the show. Go ahead and uh, write those in on the contact page, and we will get that information. And right there on the homepage of the site, you can listen to all of our past episodes. And make sure to check out all the past guests we've had on the show and as well, um, there as well. Right there on makinggeeks.com. And you can find us across all the social medias on Instagram at Making Geeks Podcast and on Twitter and Facebook at Making Geeks. And we'd like to thank our awesome, stupendous, fabulous patrons over at patreon.com slash makinggeeks for putting their money where our mouths are and helping us keep that work. Yeah, I think it works and keeping us on the air uh, with their financial contributions. They definitely don't have to do it, but it's much appreciated. It helps uh, provide us with opportunity to do things that are beyond the scope of just recording the podcast. And we'd like to thank them, especially our top patron, Mr. Seth Williams. Thanks buddy for your support. And if you'd like to join the squad, head over to patreon.com slash geeks. And if you want to get a hold of us individually, you can find us all over the internet. You can search Geek Smithing and talk to Wes. Geek Builders, get a hold of Sean. Mark is at Asylum Design or Asylum3D-com. Asylum, that didn't make any sense. Asylum-3D.com. Wow. And I'm at the, the PI Workshop. Um Thanks for sticking around and hanging out with us. Yeah, Yeah. it's super late. I'm tired. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for sticking around and hanging out with us. Uh, If you think I'm wrong and you want to yell at me about being a a butthole who wants to steal people's work, then let me know. I can take it. Um, Stick around every Saturday for a new episode. And if you want to come hang out in the live chat, we got this topic from the live chat on YouTube. We record usually Thursdays. At 9, 9.30? Yeah. Yeah. Search it. Come hang out. Come talk it up. So, hope you enjoyed this episode. And we hope you have a fantastic week. Hi, everybody. Met everybody. I, I don't want to know the answer. <laughs> <laughs>